0: Well, hey, I want to preach a message to you this morning out of the book of Hosea, or Hosea, however you want to, whatever side of the fence you want to go on with that one. But for a bit of context, so while I'm initially laying down some context, grab your Bibles out, turn to the book of Hosea. And um, Hosea was a prophet in the northern kingdom of Israel. He was called by God during a particularly difficult time in the history of Israel. Israel was in all sorts of chaos as the Assyrian Empire was just about to come in and just decimate Israel um, in in the time of Hosea. Hosea. I'll probably alternate between them during the sermon, so just bear with me. But during this time, God commanded Hosea to marry a woman named Gomer. Everyone say Gomer. Hosea and Gomer had three children together. And one would think that that was the beginning of a very happy marriage and a very fulfilled life as a prophet, you know, he's got his wife, he's got his kids, he's called by God. And But something happened to Hosea that he probably, I don't know if he was anticipating or knew that was gonna happen, probably not, but it wasn't to be. Gomer actually leaves Hosea and becomes a prostitute. Now, some scholars believe that she may have already been a prostitute before Hosea married her, and that God called her, God called Hosea to marry her as a sign of of things to come that I'll get into. But it's very interesting reading the story in the book of Hosea as to what his response was to when his wife and the mother of his children basically betrays him, turns her back on him. Um, does something that breaks his heart. It's amazing to watch what his response uh, is. I don't think Hosea probably expected it to happen, but, and I love what, I was thinking about this during the week and the quote that probably a lot of you have probably heard before from Pastor Chuck Swindle where he says, life is 10% what happens to you And 90% how you react to it. I don't know if you believe that this morning, but I certainly do. And there's a whole sermon in that just by itself. But, you know, Hosea could have reacted in many different ways when his wife and mother of his children left him and chose a life of prostitution. He could have got bitter He could have went and married someone else. He could have got angry, but he didn't respond like that. He didn't respond like that. The way he did respond is that Hosea actually went and found Gomer, paid off her debts to her lovers and the men that were her masters, and he brings her home and commits his love to her and his faithfulness to her again. And that just blows my mind. Especially in our 21st century world and Western culture, where that just wouldn't happen. That just wouldn't happen. So the question is, well, why? Why did he do that? Why did Hosea... Or how, even how did he do that? How did he find the grace and the mercy in himself to to do that? And so I want us to read Hosea chapter 3 verses 1 to 5 as we unpack this this morning. And verse 3 says, And the Lord said to me, go again, love a woman who is loved by another man and is an an adulteress. "'Even as the Lord loves the children of Israel, "'though they turn to other gods and love cakes of raisins, "'so I brought her for 15, this is Hosea, "'so I brought her, Goma, for 15 shackles of silver "'and a, and a homer of latesh of barley. "'And I said to her, "'You must dwell as mine for many days. "'You shall not play the role of a prostitute any longer.'" or or belong with another man, and so will I also be with you. For the children of Israel shall dwell many days without the king or priests, without sacrifice or pillar, without a pod or household gods. Afterwards, the children of Israel shall return and seek the Lord their God and David their king, and they shall come in fear to the Lord and to his goodness in the later days.'" I want to draw a bit of a comparison between Hosea and Gomer and their relationship and the relationship between God and Israel. You see, Gomer was unfaithful, uncommitted, unreliable, and unloving, where Hosea was always faithful, always committed, always reliable, and always loving. In the same way, we just read that God explaining to Hosea that Israel also oftentimes was unfaithful, uncommitted, unreliable, and unloving, whereas God was always faithful, always committed, always reliable, and always loving. And just like Hosea had a legitimate reason to divorce Gomer and go his separate ways, God also had a legitimate reason to divorce Israel. God rescued Israel from Egypt, brought them into the promised land. But then as soon as Israel received the blessings in the promised land that God gave to them, They took all the abundance of the promised land and dedicated it to the Canaanite God, Baal. And the rest of Israel's story throughout a majority of the Bible is simply a repetition of the following sequences of events. God blesses Israel. Israel turns away from God. Israel suffers for their unfaithfulness. Israel repents. God blesses Israel Israel turns away from God. Israel suffers, Israel repents. God blesses Israel. And repeat and repeat. And I don't know about you whether you can draw comparisons to that in your own life. I know I I can. Where I've been through seasons of, you feel that God's pouring out his blessing upon your life and he's there with you. And then something happens and whether it's a sin or a whatever it is, creeps in. And you feel like God has left you or has betrayed you. But I was thinking about it this morning. And even Israel, when they were turned away from God and the suffering that came in the, at the hands of the Babylonians or whatever came at them was not necessarily God punishing them, but more of a consequence of their actions. You know, the, the world would call this karma and as Christians, we'd call it sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping is just the Christian version of karma. Karma is a Christian concept. And I feel so often, even as the Israelites or Goma or ourselves, we get upset at God for the reaping of what we've sown. Does that make sense? Like, we've, we, we are responsible for what we sow. Therefore, what we reap, well, what we reap is a byproduct, byproduct of what we sow. So if we don't like what we're reaping, then we can't complain to God about it. We need to change what we're sowing. If we wanna change what we're reaping, we need to change what we're sowing. And it's the same with Israel. They would, they would sow unfaithfulness they would sow um, idolatry <laughs> and the, what they would reap from that they didn't like and eventually, sometimes it took years but eventually they'd realise and be like, oh, maybe we need to start sowing some faithfulness. Maybe I need to start sowing some, some dedication to the Lord or whatever it may be. So how does this relate to us as 21st century Christians? Well, as I said, just in the same way that Israel found themselves in this pattern of being stuck in I'm living for Jesus. I've made a mistake. I've made a mistake. I feel like I feel like God's abandoned me. I repent. Oh God, you love me. I'm living for Jesus. I'll make a mistake. This cycle of the constant battle between flesh and spirit. There's fruits of the spirit, there's fruits of the flesh. And they're constantly in who's gonna win out? Who's gonna win out? So what do we do? What's the key to living a life like Hosea rather than Gomer? What's the key to living a life where where we're in the flow stream of the will of God for our life? Well, that's a good question. We're going to try and answer it today. Glad you asked. We're going to read what I feel is like the main text for this morning, which is Hosea 6, 1 to 3. And it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. It's funny, you don't need to return to something if you're already there. Like we don't need to return to something if we're already, you don't have to return to Wodonga if you're already in Wodonga. You don't have to return to the Lord if you're already in the Lord. So Hosea is talking to people who have obviously gone astray. Who's ever gone astray? Don't raise your hand. Don't incriminate yourself. Come, let us return to the Lord for he has torn us that he may heal us he has struck us down and he will bind us up after 2 days he will revive us on the 3rd day he will raise us up so that we may be so that we may live before him let us know let us press on to know the lord his going out is sure as the dawn he will come to us as the showers, as the spring rain that waters the earth. Uh, my sermon title for those taking notes today is The Spring Rain. The Spring Rain. Have you ever been caught in the rain? Yeah? It's a bit inconvenient, isn't it? I remember a couple of weeks ago, I got caught in the rain trying to put the kids in the car. Now that is not an ideal situation, especially with two little girls that love to dance in the rain. And there's cars, and there's am like, mate, get in the car in Jesus' name. All the parents said, Amen. But I was thinking about it this week that you know when you get when someone gets caught in the rain and they come home or they walk in the door let's say your spouse gets caught in the rain on their way home from work and they walk in the door. You can probably tell that they've been caught in the rain. Am I right? Like if they've had to be, like it's not a trick, I'm not tricking you. Like you can tell they're, they're drenched, they're probably agitated. They definitely don't look the same as when they left in the morning. All the mascara's running, girls. Waterproof mascara, hello. Hello. You can tell when someone's been caught in the rain. They're drenched from the top of their heads to the tips of the toes. They're all messed up. They're probably flustered. My question this morning to all of us is, when was the last time that we got caught in the rain of heaven? When was the last time that we got caught up in the reign of God. Hosea said that the Lord will come to us like the spring rain. And this is the type of rain that we want to, ooh, let there be light, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. I was like, do I draw attention to it or not? But everyone was thinking it. <laughs> But this is the type of rain that we want to get. No no one wants to get caught in the rain naturally, unless you're like a farmer where it's been drought and the rain comes, you're like, praise Jesus, and you run out there, hallelujah. But this type of rain is the type of rain that we want to get caught in. We want to get drenched in the rain of God from the top of our heads to the tips of our toes. We want the reign of God to mess us up from the inside to the outside so that our con- here's what happens when we let the reign of God just mess us up. Our concern for the way that we look on the outside begins to go away and our focus becomes not on our outward projection of what we can create to be seen, but on the inward health of our spirit. When people get caught in the rain, naturally, I don't know about you, but it frustrates me. I'm not perfect church, I get frustrated. I'm still working on it. My clothes get wet, my hair gets all messed up. I don't wear makeup, so I don't have that problem. I'm not gonna tell that story, that's another time. Um, But it's annoying and I feel like, Sometimes when if we when we get caught in the rain of God, it can also be a little annoying. What, ooh, what do you mean by that, Pastor Greg? Well, because just like natural rain can mess up your plans, so too can the rain of heaven can mess up your plans. Because he might call you or ask you or say something to you in the rain that you weren't anticipating or that you hadn't planned for or wasn't a part of your agenda for the day. Because we're no longer in control. If you're driving along a road and there's a flood the road's flooded, well sorry, but you're no longer in control as to whether you can cross that road. Now if you've got a big four by four and you're a man and you drive through all right, good on you, but if it's super flooded, then Soz like you're not in control anymore. And it's the same thing with God. If God, if you're walking this way and God sends the rain and floods the water and you're like, oh, I still want to go this way, God. God's like, sorry, flooded the road. Maybe try this way. I didn't want you to go that way in the first place. I want you to go this way. Oh, but that's over there and I want to go over there. If we are living, if we get caught up in the reign of God, then we have to be aware that he might call us or redirect us in ways that we hadn't anticipated. There's a whole nother message right there. But when we when we get caught in the spring rain of the Lord, here's four things that happens when we get caught up in the spring rain of the Lord. One, dead things come to life. John ten ten says Jesus came to bring life. And life to the full. What dead things are in your life that Jesus wants to bring back to life today? What dead things, what dead dreams have you given up on that Jesus is saying today, hey, it's time to pick it back up? It's coming back. His reign brings dead things to life. Number two, dry bones are revived. We read in Ezekiel 37, the story of the valley of dry bones. And these dry bones represent the nation of Israel, the people of God. And God commands Ezekiel to prophesy life and breath to the dry bones. When we get caught up in the reign of God, we will have a new sense of boldness and confidence to prophesy to the dry, dead things in our life and in the lives of others, and things will begin to shift. Just like in Ezekiel 37, when he began to prophesy in the name of the Lord, because he had been in the reign of God, he had been with God. And so when God called him, hey, Ezekiel, prophesy to the dry bones. You don't see Ezekiel say, oh, mate, I just need to go and pray for a little bit first. I need to get my heart. I need to get, I need to. No, he goes for it. He, He declares, he prophesies to the breath. He prophesies for life. Number three, when we get caught up in the spring rain of God, dirty leaves get washed. Acts twenty-two sixteen 16 says that he washes away our sin. Never to return. He washes away my sin. I think one of the biggest attacks of the enemy is trying to make people and Christians who are born again that love Jesus. And one of, his, one of his biggest tactics to try and neutralize people is guilt and shame. It's to make us feel like, oh, am I really saved? Does God really love me? I'm still a sinner. But my Bible says that for those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no condemnation. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so I don't know if you're here today and, if, and that's speaking to you, whether you're struggling with guilt and shame, I want you to know today that Jesus, the Lord God sees you washed white, clean. When we get under the reign of God, when we allow Him to just, it's not nothing that we do. We can't make the rain come. We can only stand in it. Our, we are not responsible for making the rain come any more than we are in the world. Naturally, we can't make the rain come. But when it comes, our only responsibility is am I positioned to stand under the rain? Number four what happens when the spring rain of the Lord, when we get caught up in the spring rain of the Lord? Dormant things begin to grow. The fruit of our life, the Bible talks about fruit of the flesh and fruit of the spirit. We will produce, our lives will produce something. It'll either be fruit of the spirit or fruit of the flesh. And if if our lives are being watered by the spring rain of God you got we got to understand our life is like a seed and I'm not a farmer but I understand enough that if you don't plant the seed then you can water it until the cows come home but if it's not planted in soil or some kind of environment where it can grow then it's not going to grow. Only a seed that is planted, the Bible says that those that are planted in the house of the Lord will flourish. So as we plant ourselves in God and then allow his spring rain to water us, we will begin to bear good fruit. Good fruit that, brings glory to God. Not glory to anyone or anything or any brand, but to the glory of God. So to come back to our main question, what's the key to living a life like Hosea and not like Gomer? Is to stay in the it's to stay under the reign of the Lord, the spring reign of the Lord. Every day of our life. We read earlier Hosea six three let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to let us um, He will come to us as the shower, as the spring rain that waters the earth. Proverbs 16:15 says, "In the light of a king's face there is life, and his favor is like the clouds that brings the spring rain." Zechariah 10:1 says, "Ask rain from the Lord in the season of the spring rain from the Lord who makes the storm clouds, and he will give them showers." Of rain to everyone that every to everyone the vegetation in the fields. When was the last time that you got drenched by the spring rain of the Lord? Job five ten talks about how God gives the rain for the earth. And in the same way that God gives the rain for the earth so that things can grow and that things can thrive, it's the same way that he gives us his rain, his heavenly rain, his presence, his words, his being so that we can grow and thrive. There is no growth, there is no thriving removed from God. So that begs the question how, how, Pastor Greg, do I get caught up in the spring rain of the Lord? Well, John four thirteen says, and Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again but whoever drinks the water that I give, they will never thirst again. The water that I give will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water. How do we get caught up in the spring rain of the Lord? Well, one, we." ask God just as the the woman said give me the water the Bible says seek and you will find knock and the door will be open ask and you shall receive we need to ask God every day for his living water for his spring rain with to be with you and with me I don't know about you but I cannot do this life without the spring rain of the Lord. Jesus says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. What water have you been drinking that is still leaving you thirsty? Sometimes we could drink the same water for years and years and years and it's still leaving us thirsty. The water of comparison, the water of pride, the water of unforgiveness, the water of control, the water of laziness, the water of bitterness, these waters are the waters that the world offers and the only result of drinking those waters is that you will thirst again. They will not sustain you. His waters, the word of God, his presence, is where we will find the spring rain that Hosea was talking about. And it's in the spring rain that we will find all that we need. It's in his spring rain of heaven that we will find all that we need, church. And the good thing, the the great thing about this type of rain, I mentioned it earlier, but we don't have to wait for this type of rain. We don't have to, we don't even have to pray for this type of rain. You know, there's some things that we don't have to pray about. There's some like, that's a bit, oh, Pastor Greg, oh, heresy, no. <clears throat> we, we don't have to pray for him to I'm going to be real careful how I say this because it's not in my notes and this is dangerous water now. Not really. But we don't have to pray for him to send his spring rain. His spring rain is always ready to pour out on us wherever we are. We, we, we need to, we can ask God, God, send your rain, send it to me now to show that we're hungry for it, but it's always there, ready to go. We just have to step into his reign. If the bam wants to come up. So we've talked about what the spring reign of the Lord is and why we need it in our life, but as we, as we wrap up this morning, I wanna touch on some things that, I feel God wanted me to touch on three things that happen if we aren't living with the spring rain of the Lord. Things that we can expect if we aren't living under the spring rains of the Lord. Without the spring rain of God, the river runs dry. Have you ever felt a little dry? Maybe you're here this morning and you say, yep, Pastor Greg, I'm as dry as a desert right now. And the question that I think of is, well, what does a river represent? I believe that a river represents the favour and provisional presence of God in our life. 2 Kings 5 talks about a story of a man named Nahum who had leprosy and he was the commander of the Syrian army. And his king tells him to go find Elijah get the man of God to pray for you so that you can be healed of your leprosy. And Elijah, in hearing that this Syrian commander was coming, sent a message to him saying, go and wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. So Nahum went down and dipped himself in the river seven times and it says in verse 14, according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was totally restored like the flesh of a little child was cleaned. It was in the waters of the river Jordan that Nahum received his miracle. And I believe with all my heart that it is in the waters of the streams of the living God that comes from the rain of heaven that we too can receive our miracle, whatever it is, whatever situation or circumstance that you're facing, the answer is not on Instagram. The answer is not on the latest trend of success or whatever it may be, entrepreneurship, this, that, do this, this leads to this. No, the answer is at the altar in the river of God, in the river of living water is where we will find our answer. Not in anything else, not in anyone else, in God. Now I think it's interesting that in this story, in Two Kings five, you no, know, it wasn't. It wasn't enough for Nahum to just go and look at the river. It wasn't enough for him to just go up to the river bank and be like, "Oh yeah, that's nice water. That's a really nice river. Done, done, good job." That wasn't. No, he actually had to get in the water. Not only did he have to get in the water, but he had to fully submerge himself in the water. Not once, not twice, not three times, not four times, not five times, not six times, seven times. He had to fully submerge himself in the water. When was the last time we fully submerged ourselves in the water of of heaven. It can get so easy, and I I know because I'm guilty of it too, it can get so easy, especially in 21st century Western culture, to treat church and to treat God as a river that we just come up and look at and think, oh, that's a nice river. Oh, thank you, Lord, for the blessing of seeing a nice river. And God standing in the river like there's so much more for you if you just get in the river. Like you're being blessed by just, you get blessed by just looking at the river. Imagine if you got in the river and drenched yourself in the river and drenched yourself in the water. But it's far more convenient to just look at the river and then go back to what I was doing. Rather than, all right, God, I'm going to step into this river. My clothes are going to get wet. My hair is going to get all messed up. But I'm going to step into the river. (laughs) Because it's in the river is where God is. Yes, yes, the river, right? Yes, the river represents our miracles and our and the favor of God and provision and all that. But the biggest miracle or the biggest blessing that's that's in the waters of God is God himself. It's not what he will do for us, it's what he's already done for us and who he is to us. We don't We don't come to church for what he does for us. We don't love him for what he does for us. We love him for what he has done for us and for who he is to us. It's when our river is full of water and we are fully submerged in that thing that we can begin to see God move in ways that we could never have imagined. Ephesians 3.20 says, um, what does Ephesians 3.20 say? Far more abundantly than all that I could ask, think, see or imagine, right? The Apostle Paul is making one assumption when he wrote that, was the Apostle Paul right? Ephesians? Daniel? Yeah. yeah. He says, far more abundantly than all that you could ever ask. He's assuming that we are asking. He's assuming that we're actually asking. When we position ourselves in the river of God and we ask of Him far more abundantly than you could ever have imagined, will take place. It's when we are in the waters of the river of the living God. Without the spring rain of God, the fruit will not develop. Try and grow fruit from a tree with no rain. God has called us to bear good fruit and we cannot do that unless we are watering ourselves with the rain of heaven. Without the spring rain of God, the tree will begin to die. It's the spring rain of the heaven that keeps us from a path of destruction. Hebrews talks about, let no one drift away, right? The thing that keeps us from drifting is by staying in the flow of God. Don't allow, just don't, let's not allow ourselves to float off on some other current, no. Those other currents lead to destruction or Jesus Himself demonstrated a life that was full of the spring rain of heaven. And we cannot do anything without the spring rain of God in our lives. Come on, why don't we stand this morning? Why don't you just lift your hands? I believe that. The Spirit of God just wants to pour out His rain today. Thank you, Holy Spirit. For your rain that brings life, your rain that brings fruitfulness, your rain that brings blessing and provision. We thank you, God, that it's in your presence where that's where we find all that we need. And so we're gonna just take a moment, we're gonna sing and worship Him just for a moment and just allow allow the spring rain of God to saturate you this morning.